Hello, everybody, and welcome back to OMB Reviews. I am the critic who is a cynic. How is everyone doing this evening? Welcome to episode 413 of the Welcome to Asgard podcast, where tonight we're going to talk a little bit about the early reviews for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, Ant-Man 3, which is expected to, projected to make $280 million globally in its opening weekend, but it also is getting the worst reviews of any of the Ant-Man films. So what does that actually mean? Does that mean that we could expect to see the opening that is being projected? Does this mean that we'll see a massive week two drop-off? Or does this mean that we're going to see another middling MCU release that might make its money back, but ultimately ends up being not all that impressive when all is said and done. Those seem to be the options at this point in time, and of course we will cover the box office numbers as they come in this weekend. We will do the box office breakdown as we usually do on Sundays, both on Geeks and Gamers and of course over here on the OMB Reviews channel. But before going any further into these news items, go ahead and smash that like button. Have that fire button if you're watching on Odyssey, and smash the rumble button as well. And thank you for being here. Thank you for being subscribed, and thank you very much for the love and for the support. Let's go ahead and say hello to the people in the chat. Right now, Abomination hanging out over on Odyssey. Thank you very much, good sir, for being over there, for setting the flame over with the Odyssey fam. Let's see, we got Master of Gaming who was here early. What's going on, Master of Gaming? Kili Chow was here early. Bruce says hail to all, hail to you. Just under the red shirt was also here. What's going on? Orange Air Views, thank you very much, good sir, for being here. Thank you very much for taking up the modding responsibilities on the channel. Obviously, Stephanie B had to step away for work, and Tina B is still recovering. Uh, again, prayers going out to, to Tina B, especially as she continues to recover uh, from a, a loss of eyesight. She seems to be getting uh, better as far as the clarity of being able to see certain things, and so that's definitely a good thing to hear, and our prayers are still absolutely with her. She might be stopping in every now and then on streams, and so, again, thoughts and prayers out to Tina. Much love to your girl. All right, and uh, as Orange Chat Reviews does, to let everyone know, please put at Odin the very beginning of your comment. At Odin lets me know you're trying to get my attention no matter what platform you are on. At Odin, it's like a code word, and I will gladly highlight your comment, read your comment, answer your question, whatever it is that it might be. Let's me know. Thank you again. Just another redshirt who is a member on the channel. Hail to you. One of the perks of being a member is that you do not have to put the at Odin. Though, of course, I do encourage you to do so, as it lets me know that you're not talking to anybody else. Kimberly G, what is going on? Happy Feast of St. Valentine to you as well. Also in the ordinary calendar, it's the Feast of Saints Cyril and Methodius for the Slavic people out there. So, blessed feast day for them as well. But in general fashion, it is a feria day. There's a commemoration for St. Valentine, an early church martyr. And it's just interesting to me that the commercialization of Valentine's Day has gotten to the point where people seem to forget that the name of St. Valentine or the person of St. Valentine himself was killed. So we're, we're giving out chocolates and hearts to someone who was killed, and I believe he was even beheaded for the faith. Fun fact right there. Next time you say Happy Valentine's Day, say Happy Beheaded Saints Day, everybody. As you can tell, I am not into the commercialization of St. Valentine's Feast Day. And one of the reasons why, one of the many, many reasons why I love the Lady Frey, I love my wife so much, is because both of us have a very similar opinion about the whole day. It's like, yeah, this commercialization is kind of silly. Orange Eye Views, absolutely, please. Do not spam comments. Thank you very much for reminding all of the good peoples and also how to check their cookie counts. Monkey 76 what's going on? Good sir. GS 
Pena. Ahoy, ahoy to you. Snortapoopus Cooper says, Hello, humans and other quitters. What's going on? How's it going? Thank you very much for being here. You are awesome. Absolutely, let's have fun tonight as we typically do in Asgardian fashion. By the way, for all the people that were able to watch the long premiere uh, episode earlier, thank you very much. I saw a couple people in the live chat for it, but that was from the most recent episode of the OMB podcast, which is exclusive for Patreon, Subscribestar, Locals members who are at the Army of Asgard level and above. Also, if you're at the Keeper of the Bifrost level and above on YouTube, you get access to a video version of that podcast too. So if you like that content and you want more of it, go check out the top link in the video description to find out how you can sign up for those levels to get access to the back catalog of content, amongst many other perks. Keely Chow, what's up? Cacao Cookies Minion, hello to you. Ambrose Chamberpot, what's up? Rob D in the chat. What is going on? Thank you very much for being here. J.S. Pena, time to say, saw the Flash trailer yesterday. Don't have hope for the movie, but I'm betting that Michael Keaton is going to be the best part of it unless they ruin him. Well, that's just the thing is that that's the only thing I remember from the trailer is that, oh, Michael Keaton's in the film. I forgot that he was in the film. And, oh, wait, they're really stressing the point that Michael Keaton's in the film. It's almost as if they're like, hey, did we mention that Michael Keaton's in this? Oh, wait. Did we, did we forget Michael Keaton? Hey, wait, by the way, I don't know if you knew this, but Michael Keaton, remember him? Remember? Remember how he was Batman? Look, he's back as Batman. That's what the film felt like. That's what the trailer for it felt like. So I, I still have no confidence in the movie whatsoever. It's still written by the same person that wrote Birds of Prey, so I just have no actual confidence that the film could possibly be any good based off of that alone, just from a story element. And it just doesn't really look all that compelling. I just, I, I don't care about any of the characters. I don't care about any of the stakes. And everything that is being presented, it's like, okay, this looks like yet another generic DC MCU style film. You know, it's ridiculous. Cow Googie's Minion says, my local TLM Parish is having a Lord of the Rings marathon on Friday, extended editions. Then we'll play the theatrical versions over the following weekend. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. That's a really good uh, fellowship, a way of fellowship, right? To try to bring people in, right? So sometimes you do so in the, you know, direct activities of prayer and, and fasting and, and you know, having rosary groups and, and, and prayer groups, etc. But sometimes having those elements of just like, you know, uh, camaraderie, right? Of coming together, right? And just doing normal things. And I think that that's absolutely a great one to actually, uh, to actually watch. It's very appropriate. For that to be what they watch. Zach Gregg in the chat. What is going on? Miss Minnesota hockey fan. How about a hockey player? Uh, Brian Barth. Hail to you. Fedigator. Hail to you. Thank you very much for being in the chat. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Carl in the chat. What's going on, Carl? Keely Chow. Uh, Baby Thor is doing just fine. He's being a toddler, but he's doing just fine. The Lady Freya also doing well, though a little bit, a uh, little sick. Uh, Gus hanging out in the chat. What is going on, Gus? Master of Gaming. Ever since Captain Marvel, the MCU isn't as good as it used to be. I used to, I wanted to love Phase Four, but it was most, it, most of it is disappointing. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily say Captain Marvel is that point. I mean, for me, I, I think that the danger signs kind of like, you know, we're like danger, danger uh, with Avengers: Age of Ultron. That that movie just was really just not well made. Uh, whether it was the CGI, whether it was just the writing being very lackluster, like that's when things, and obviously people could probably even find an example further back than that, but that's when it started to really feel so much more corporate and so much more, you know, of a just 
a repetition. Like if it started to feel, you started to feel the repetition of the stories and the repetition of all the action. And it just felt like it's the same old garbage over and over and over again. At least that's, that's the one that kind of, you know, hit it off for me. Yes, Penny. Absolutely. Also, happy beheaded Saints Day. Exactly. <laughs> Forever Sci-Fi. What's going on? Snorta Poopa says, "I'm certain Saint Valentine would be thrilled to be associated with a pagan god Cupid." That's a very good point as well. Uh, Gary Banjo Sandwich. What's going on? Says, "Just watch Infinity Pool." Uh, OMG, horror freakiness. Yeah, everything about the trailer makes me not want to go see it. Just don't feel like it would be, you know, good for me at all. Uh, Fedigator, did you have a chance to check out the Nefarious trailer? Deese said he wanted to make a movie for believers to take their unbelieving friends and scare the hell into them. I have not seen it yet, uh, Fedigator. Uh, again, I know, thank you for reaching out to me. I, I just, it's something that just on the surface, I, I honestly just don't really have a lot of interest in. Um, so I might check it out at some point, but at this point, it just, I don't know. Uh, anything that I've seen, that even from the poster itself, I just... It just kind of looks like it's going to be another one of these, you know, cheap indie films that, yeah, it's great to support an independent film, but they also have to be really good. You know, I'm not saying that it, it comes across as a Pure Flix movie, but like that's like the kind of like vibes where it's like, yeah, Pure Flix movies, those are Christian films, but most of them are really, really bad. And so that's the kind of vibes I'm getting from just the general uh, premise and general things that I'm getting from this film. So I'm not saying it's going to be bad, right? And I'm definitely not writing it off right away, but I just, I'm not as interested in, in this movie to be perfectly honest. Um, again, maybe, maybe the more I find out about it, uh, maybe the more I'll, I'll be interested in it, but no, I have not checked it out. Uh, Luke Zilla, what's going on? Welcome back. Thank you very much for being here. Laura, the modern major general of the channel says the only flash I care about is flash Gordon dive. Absolutely. Groomer drunk three PO. Of course you would say that. Grimmer Drunk 3PO. <laughs> Gosh. Rob D says, DC will just reboot their whole universe again when Flash flops. Well, that's the whole point, right? The whole point of the film is to try to reboot everything. The problem is, is that they're going to reboot it and make the same exact mistakes they made previously, and it's not going to help. Master Gaming then, speaking of Chris, uh, Christina Hodson and The Flash, I remember you said Bumblebee was woke. I don't know what's woke about it. No, no, no. I, I said that Bumblebee was terrible. Uh, from a story perspective, and at the very end is really when things get bad. Yeah, I wasn't talking about the wokeness of the movie. I was talking more about the wokeness of Christina Hodson, and it very much comes across in her screenwriting. I mean, as far as that film's concerned, I just think that the writing is not very good. Like, one of the most cringeworthy scenes in the entire film is the whole concept of the main character played by Haley Steinfeld, who's actually a very talented actress, is the fact that she was a diver at one point or a swimmer at some point. And there's a scene where she does this, like, dive, this very clearly, like, CGI'd dive into the water. And I was just like, at that point, I, I just <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so stupid. So, no, no, I said it was bad writing. I didn't say it was. Um, and if I did say it was woke, I meant to say it was bad writing. Sometimes I can see how they can be <laughs> easily mixed up. Joey Horn says, what up, Odin? Happy Feast of St. Valentine. Thank you very much. Orange Hat says, the Flash trailer was MK Batman heavy. Michael Keaton Batman heavy. But even with him in it, it cannot in good I cannot in good conscience support the film with my money. Not when Ezra has terrorized four different countries. It's a very, very good point. That's why you could always pull the, uh, the Gary card. I, I always called it the, the razzle-dazzle, as it were. So you, you buy a ticket to a film that you don't mind supporting, that you would like to support, and then you just calmly walk into the theater that is playing the film if you actually have a genuine interest in the movie itself. Because then the theater is still getting cut, 
And in fact, if you're watching an older film, they get a higher cut of that film. If you buy box, if you buy popcorn and soft drinks, they get even more of your money. Um, but anyway, it's the old razzle dazzle, as they call it. Remember, Sci-Fi says can't even tell reality from movies anymore with the whole East Palestine, Ohio thing. Yeah, seriously, I mean that whole thing is just so uh, creepy. And then someone shared with me on social media that Netflix had a movie that was actually basically the premise of what is happening, or at least there's a lot of eerie similarities. And again, I I didn't look further into it other than what was shared with me, but I was very creeped out by it. I was like, wait a minute, this is a film that came out last year on Netflix. And it's got to, you know, at first I thought, okay, this is like a fake trailer. Someone put together, but then I was like, no, no, no. Like this is, it looks pretty, pretty legit. You, you got some, you know, relatively decent named actors in the film. And I, I was like, oh my goodness, this is just really, really creepy. So, uh, yeah, I, I honestly can't believe it. So obviously my heart's going out to anyone who's in the area and I hope they get out because from what I'm hearing and, and from what's happening, it, it sounds like there's so many toxic things in the air that it would just behoove them to get out. And I really hope that they can, you know? And yeah, there's just so many crazy things. I mean, there was the the, the Chinese weather, you know, the Chinese, uh, sorry, this Chinese spy balloon. And now there's been like three or four other things. And then it's like some of them you, you couldn't find any wreckage after the fact. And then others you couldn't confirm. And then there were some stories about how, you know, they shot one and the, the first missile they shot missed. And it's like, where did that missile go? Yeah, things are just kind of going crazy. You know, some are, I think... Um, Maybe they're onto something calling it a PSYOP, meaning that it's basically just the military acting in a way to try to take away from the fact that we allowed a Chinese spy balloon to, you know, cross almost the, our, our entire country um, or other things. I don't know. It just seems kind of like a distraction, but it also raises other questions like, OK, what in the world is going on here? Because it seems really, really weird. Uh, let's see. Forever Sci-Fi says DC can't reboot my interest. Yeah, they can't reboot much of anything, let alone our interest. Very good point. Keely Chow, I agree with what you said and what Gary has said numerous times. Yeah, the old razzle dazzle. Gary Vander Sandwich says we need Jack back as a Joker for Keaton. Yeah, I mean that would be interesting. I don't know if he would do it though. You know, and, and Jack is you know Nicholson does not look anywhere as good as Keaton does. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I don't know exactly how far apart they are in age, but I mean, Keaton looks just so much better uh, than, uh, so it's not even that whether Jack Nicholson would do it. I don't even know if I'd want him to do it, to be honest. Keely Chow says, Disney is evil and Warner Brothers is dumb. Gary Beekler of Nerdrotic. Yes. Yes. Uh, I would argue that many of these big studios are are evil to a ver- to varying degrees. I mean, Ant-Man and the Wasp, for instance, is getting a China release, which means more and more Disney dollars, whether it was from other MCU films from the past, whether it is from... And the reason why I keep bringing that up, especially more recently, is because we're just becoming a lot more aware about, one, the kind of dealings that these companies are making with China, but also what China itself is doing, right? COVID really exposed a lot of the 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 wrongdoings of China that had been there, but not a lot of people had been paying attention to it or had been blind to it or had been maybe just ignorant of it, myself included. And so I think it's just that much more important, especially when we live in an era when these studios don't need China. Like that that's what drives me the crate that that's what drives me nuts the most when it comes to these movies. I mean, look at a film that is out right now, and I know everyone's just, you know, so much Looking forward to me once again talking about Avatar Wave Water. But think about it, right? That film's made over $2.2 billion. 
200 plus million of that came from China. That means the film still hits $2 billion without China. That means the film still theoretically makes money without China. So what is the purpose? Especially when, if you actually break it down by country, they only get 25%. The studios only get 25% of those returns. 75% of the money made goes right back into the coffers of the CCP. And the excuse I always hear is, well, don't don't the Chinese people deserve to be entertained? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about millions upon millions of dollars going into the hands of an evil, an evil government, that is the CCP, who have done notorious human rights violations, and that's just the polite way of putting it. And what's Disney doing, especially with Bobby Iger back? Bobby's like, hey, we're going to go back into China now. We're going to go back and with all the MCU films that we can, and we're going to you know, put uh, Black Panther out there. Uh, you know, We're going to put you know, Wakanda Forever in a later release in that country. It'll be interesting to see what that film does there. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumadia is going to be the first MCU film to get its initial release there. And that's the reason why I, I expect they're, they're projecting it to have a $280 million global weekend. But we will talk about that. Michael Hill says that double Ezra is double no. Yeah, very, very true. Uh, Fedigator says, fair enough. He actually knew that that would be a concern, and that's why they purposely left out all the cringy uh, tropes, con- uh, conversions, and it was actually given an R rating. Love your show. Well, thank you, Fedigator. Appreciate that, man. And yeah, I, again, definitely not closed off to it, but just don't have a genuine interest at this point. Magic Gamer says, Lionsgate is releasing Operation Fortune in theaters on March 3rd, the same day as Creed 3. That'll be interesting. Orange Hat says, I would do a razzle-dazzle, but my theater only has two screens. Disadvantage of small town, I'm afraid. Ah, uh, yes, that is true. I guess, would there be one that is a little further away, maybe? That you could, you know, travel to? I, mean, I know I know. for me, uh, obviously, I'm in a small city, so we, we do have, you know, a plethora of options. But is there one maybe like 20 minutes out that might be worth going to? I don't know. Favorite sci-fi Netflix, White Noise. Some of the extras were from East Palestine. That's right, yeah. So, yeah, someone who had shared it with me mentioned that fact, too. That not only the film White Noise on Netflix having a similar uh, a similar story, but the fact that some of the people in the movie are actually from the area where the stuff in the movie, or at least some of the stuff implied in the movie, are, is happening. It's crazy. Fedegar says, with his government intelligence community, always watch the other hand. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Harwick says, Ezra admitted in an interview that he used to always faceplant when trying to run and that he modeled his run as the Flash on several animals, including a mongoose. Hardwick, that's one of those things where it's like, I don't... <laughs> I try I try to be nice. I don't care. I don't care. I just don't care. I just don't care about Ezra's, you know, process. I really don't care about him whatsoever, man. And that, that doesn't do anything. <laughs> that just doesn't do anything for me. Oh, my goodness. But much love to you, brother. Uh, Chinese, uh, What the Chinese citizens really need, human rights? Yeah. Agreed. And and I think some people have this this false premise where they're like, well, maybe when they go see the movies, right, that's how we can. It's like, no, 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 no. They don't get to see the movies that we get to see. They get to see a version of the film. And we don't even really necessarily know exactly what version they get to see. But we do know that it goes through the Chinese censors. We do know that the films get changed, that things, some things get uh, you know, taken out, some things just get retranslated, etc. And it's all because they are controlling the message. They do not let the people of their nation know exactly what is going on. It's one of the ways that they keep them controlled. 
And it, it's just, again, if, if Hollywood and if these giant corporations, who, again, do not need to be doing dealings with China, right? I would still have some moral qualms if they had a necessity, if that's where they made all of their money. But the fact is that the money they are making, right? $200 million sounds like a lot until you realize they only get 25% of it. And then you're like, okay, yeah. In comparison to the domestic box office, that's next to nothing. In fact, in comparison to what they get from many other major European nations, it's also really not all that impressive. But what does it do? It makes their global numbers look so much higher, and that ultimately is what they care about, and it helps them here in the United States because if they have higher-grossing films right, that are propped up by the millions upon millions of dollars in China, most of which they don't actually even get, it means that their stock, their stock prices can go up, and it means that they can... It's, it's this whole corrupt crony capitalist system, right, that we have. And, and that's why, and this is interesting because we, we've actually been talking about this a little bit in, in my classes. You know, we're talking about Catholic social teaching. And, and one of the things that Catholic social teaching makes clear is that it outright condemns communism and socialism, but it also has a very clear condemnation of unfettered capitalism as well, right? The problems that can come along when you uh, have these things that, that are happening. But yeah. Um, I, I definitely think it's a it's a big problem that needs to be addressed. Forever Sci-Fi. Does Disney get a Chinese aircraft a Chinese aircraft carrier named after them for all of the money they've provided to the CCP? Taiwan better watch out for the Mickey Mouse coming their way. Seriously, it would not surprise me whatsoever. Closest big house is ninety minutes. Ooh, yeah, that's a little too much, especially for a movie that doesn't seem to be very good. I have not watched the latest Gary video. I, I barely have enough time to watch my own content sometimes. Great Wood, what is going on? Dan Crane says, Hail Odin, what words of wisdom can you enlighten us with uh, the uh, with during upcoming Lent observance? Hey, well, uh, thank you, Dan Crane, for that question. Well, right now, we are in actually a mini-season in the traditional calendar. There was a season called Septuagesima, and it means 70th. And so it refers to it starting basically 70 days prior to uh, prior to Easter. And it was meant to be a 17-day period in which we were able to prepare ourselves both physically and spiritually for the fast of Lent. Now, obviously, the fast and the abstaining from meat and from other items has been suppressed quite a bit. I mean, it used to be you fasted every single day during Lent. Now it's two days. And the fast is, is kind of a joke when you compare it to, to what it used to be. Abstaining from meat is now just on Fridays and on Ash Wednesday. Um, and and even then, right, that's become somewhat of, of a joke too. Um, and so you looked at all these different things. And so I would say to to any kind of like just general spiritual advice is, is for one, come up with a plan. This is something that I've been doing with all of my classes is think about what are three things that you can do. One thing in each of these subsequent categories. So if you're looking for, I'll try to make it quick because I know some people are just like, let's talk about box office numbers, talk about pop culture stuff. But here are the three things. Come up with a list, answering, and coming up with one or two things for each of these categories. One, amendment of life. What is one thing during Lent that you know you shouldn't be doing, you know is detrimental to your health, whether it be physical, mental, or emotional, something that you know you need out of your life that you that you could start during Lent, that Lent would be a great time for you to give up, right? So, so think about the, you know things like gossip, right? If you are notorious for for gossiping, that's something you shouldn't be doing anyway. So, what is that thing, maybe that that sin that you're dealing with that is holding you back 
that that sin that you've struggled with for a long time, or maybe there's habits that you've fallen into, right, with sloth or 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 potentially with with gluttony, right? What are some things that you can start to pull back from, right, to make a change in your life, an amendment of life, right? So that's the first thing. What are some good, you know, what are some bad things, right, things that you shouldn't be doing or things that have become really bad habits that you need to change either by taking them out of your life or, or by limiting them? What's your amendment of life? Second thing, a work, an act of penance. This is what most people, when they think about Lent, think about, right, is, okay, I'm going to give up something that I like. So whenever you hear people saying, I'm going to give up chocolate for Lent, or I'm going to give up soft drinks for Lent, right? Those are good things to give up because it's something that typically you enjoy to do, right? It's a positive thing in your life. And the reason why you give it up is to say, all right, I am going to sacrifice this very small thing. And obviously it can be bigger or smaller depending on who you are, where you are spiritually, right? Because that also uh, will determine what your where your choices can be. But what are some things that you maybe enjoy that you could give up? Uh, one that I would love to be able to have the the moral fiber to be able to actually uh, to, to actually be able to fulfill is giving up hot showers, going cold showers for the four days of Lent. I mean that alone, right? That's a sacrifice, and and ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, is it that big of a sacrifice? No. But if anyone's ever taken a cold shower, you're like, ooh, no, 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 I couldn't do that even for for even for one day, right? So. A penance, right? An act of penance, right? An, an act of a sacrifice of some kind, right? And it could be something as simple as chocolate or uh, soft drinks or sweets and things like that, because those are things, right, that are inherently not bad and things that are, again, are, would be, for some people, would be sacrificed some things more than another. So that's the second thing. Third thing, final thing, an act of charity. Act of charity. This is a time where we are also called to do extra, to do more. So spiritually, okay, do you read the Bible? You don't read the Bible every single day. Hey, say during Lent, I'm going to read the Bible for five minutes. Start off small. Two weeks go by, you're like, hey, I did that just fine. All right, let's make it 10 minutes. That's the other beautiful thing about coming up with these lists is that you can adapt them over time, right? If you took on too much, guess what? You pull back a little bit. You don't give up altogether, but you just pull it back enough so that it's something that you can actually handle. So those are the three things I would say is one, an amendment of life. How can you change like things that you need to change in your life, bad things to give up. Second, an act of penance, something that's good in your life that you enjoy, but you're willing to sacrifice. And then three, an act of charity, something to add to your routine, whether it be in your spiritual life, whether it be an actual physical charity, right? going to soup kitchens or anything like that. Those are all things that I think if, if, if you were to come up with something in each of those categories, and if you were to take those things seriously, I think that you would have a very fruitful Lent. But again, everyone's going to be a little bit different on that one. Anyway, let's go ahead and uh, head back into the chat. Get off my uh, soapbox there for a second. But thank you for the question, Dan Crane. Uh, General Wingster says, what? No, John Flickpick. I demand to see a play date with you two crone men. Well, if you want to see it, uh, guess what? You can become a member at Patreon, Subscribestar, or Locals uh, and get those, uh, get access to those earlier on. Harwick, I honestly just don't care at all about anything with the Flash. Victor Fontaine, you saw that Campy had proclaimed he is no longer a shill. He is now a recovering shill that no longer accepts uh, invites to... I saw that you said that, but here's the thing. All I saw him say, because I haven't seen or I don't follow his content. I, I, don't, I just don't care about Campia. So has he said that he's not going to be a shill anymore? Because I'm pretty sure he would never admit to being a shill. That just doesn't seem like something that he would do. So him saying I'm not going to premieres anymore doesn't tell me much of anything, right? That sounds more like being something being read into, 
you know. And Hardwick, once again, I'm sorry, man. I, I just don't, I don't care about the Flash. I'm sorry, I don't care about the Flash. All right. Anyway, let's go ahead and dive into some of the. Hold on, we got uh, Bianca Zombie and White Eagle says, "I saw the Nefarious trailer. Kind of gives off an interview with the Vampire meets Exorcist vibes." Ooh, okay. Uh, that might be a little too. That might be a little too creepy for me. Might be a little too creepy for me. Anyway, so again, if you're on any of the platforms at Odin, just put at Odin, the at symbol Odin. At the beginning of your comments, let me know you're trying to get my attention. I'll be happy to read your comments or question. But let's go ahead and dive into this news about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. That's right. It's no longer just Ant-Man, right? We had the first Ant-Man film, and then we had Ant-Man and the Wasp because we had to give the female character top billing. And now that's just perpetual. Now it's just always going to be Ant-Man and the Wasp, but now it's Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Sounds a lot like... WrestleMania. From Deadline, though, the early projections are saying that this is going to be a franchise best of a $280 million global opening weekend. It says here, the tenfold drought created by the pandemic's post-production logjam is officially over this weekend as Disney and Marvel's Ant-Man and the Wasp opens the floodgates of what is a consistent flow of event movies from this Friday until early September. Oh, Deadline. Oh, Deadline. Who wrote this? Who wrote this? This is Nancy. Yeah, it's Tony and Nancy. My favorite box office <laughs> people. Tony and Nancy over at Deadline. Oh, my goodness. Oh, it's officially over, everyone. The, 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 the pandemic's post-production logjam. It's like, wait a minute. Are you, are you trying to basically say that the, the pandemic's over again? I, th I thought that you were still running with that narrative every now and then saying, well, you know, we're still tired of in the midst of this pandemic. It's like, I got, I got news for you. I got the numbers. And the numbers aren't looking all that great. They're not looking all that great. But yes, a consistent flow of event films, meaning a consistent flow of films that are ultimately going to disappoint us. Is, is, is that what you mean? <laughs> As it says, early tracking four weeks ago, indicated a $120 million opening weekend for U.S. and Canada over the four-day President's Day holiday. Disney is hoping for at least $95 million over three days and 105 to 110 over four. Either way, a franchise record start and a great 25% surge from the three-day opening of 2018's Ant-Man and the Wasp, $75.8 million. That, of course, is... <laughs> You know what I'm going to say without adjusting for inflation. Now, I will say I've broken down the numbers and this will indeed be the best performance if these numbers hold of the Ant-Man franchise. That actually I can confirm as a fact. And I will show you the numbers adjusting for inflation. And even more so, I will give you the projected ticket sales for the domestic opening weekends of all three films. That's right. I did some research. I did some number crunching. We all love numbers here. We all love some charts. I got a new chart for you. We'll see if I ever have the time to do full chart breakdowns for it. But anyway, I digress. It goes on to say, as is standard, there are no other frosh-wide releases from Rival Studios. With the Peyton Reed-directed threequel kicking off overseas Wednesday, it's looking like around $160 million for a global start of $280 million. That includes, there it is, $35 to $55 million from China. That's right. So already starting off with tens of millions of dollars going to the CCP. Great job, MCU. Great job, Disney. What I also find funny, too, is people were calling me out for my coverage of 
of, of Avatar. It's like, clearly you've never seen me cover the MCU before. Uh, not to mention, guess what? They're all owned by the same company. People, 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 people. But as you can see, millions of dollars going to China. And again, this movie likely does not need any of this money. And in fact, that means if this film didn't have it, you're still looking at a $220 million opening weekend or so. That's a decent opening. It's not great, but that's a decent opening. As it says, tracking remains slightly unpredictable for big films, even as the pandemic has eased. Oh, wait, so it hasn't gone away. It's just eased. Flip-floppers. But with Jonathan Major's new mega MCU villain, King the Conqueror, making his big screen debut after his variance introduction in Marvel Disney's series Loki, that could create a stampede of walk-up business this coming weekend. Now, I've always been one to say, and I'll give some credit here, that walk-up business is normally not accounted for, and it's hard to predict. But, to try and say that Kang the Conqueror, based at least on the trailers that I've seen, is somehow, some way going to be <laughs> enough and going to be that which is able to bring in off the street? I mean, are you serious? Now, everything I've heard from the reviews, I, I've watched uh, the coverage that... Uh, I've seen John Flickinger's coverage, good friend, right? You saw the video, uh, the, the podcast episode earlier today on the channel that I that I released um, as a kind of like a teaser of, hey, get more content like this uh, by joining. But um, I saw his coverage of it, and, you know, he said it was okay film. Right? He said it was okay. I saw Jeremy John's coverage of this, and he's someone I tend to agree with more so than not. There are definitely things that I don't agree with Jeremy John's with, but Jeremy John said that this film is a good time if you're drunk. That's one of his lower ratings. And the only positive thing he had to say about the film w w was Kang, right? Kang, Kang was uh, supposedly amazing in the film. The problem, though, is that the trailer does not really convey that. Nothing about the trailer makes me think, oh, I want to see more of this guy. I see, oh, generic bad guy. Why should I care? Amidst the really terrible CGI background, which also being confirmed by the people who have seen the film, the CGI is apparently atrocious for a huge portion of the film too. I just, again, I question the whole walk-up mentality. But again, we will, of course, see when the numbers come in. What's interesting, though, of course, is as soon as they're, you know, as you saw, all this is really fluffing up, right? Saying, oh, look at all these great things and all these great numbers. And then it's like, currently, though, domestic advanced ticket sales for Ant-Man 3 are tracking 15% behind Thor Love and Thunder which opened to 144.1 million over three days. Disney has all the IMAX, 400, PLF, about 900, D-Box, and 3D. So these are all the premium format screens. This is what I was talking about, by the way, with Avatar. The reason why Avatar's numbers were so high was not only because you had a lot of people going to watch the film, but also these were the auditoriums, these were the screens that they were going to see. The 2D screens were almost empty opening weekend for Avatar. These films were almost filled to the brim in certain cases, which is the reason why I would love to get a, a number on, and I might need to get to I might need to get in touch with Valiant Renegade because Valiant Renegade, I believe, was actually tracking the average ticket price at his local theater. So hey, it's not perfect, but it's you know better than nothing. And he was trying to say, here is the average ticket sales and ticket price for Avatar specific versus the typical movie that doesn't have a 3D release, that doesn't have an IMAX release, that doesn't have a you know X release. So that to me would honestly I think be the best indicator and best way of figuring out how many actual tickets were sold. 
at least domestically. Internationally, there's just no way for us to be able to, to come to that conclusion. But what this means is that we could likely expect these screens to be much better sellers than the alternative. And by the way, that's right, 2,500 3D screens. This is, once again, a big part of the Avatar effect. Remember how 3D kind of went away for a long time? And it was awesome because no one really wanted to watch films in 3D because it's, it's mostly just a gimmick? Well, guess what? Avatar comes back out and what happens? Oh, wait, now we're going to start to get a bunch of 3D showings again. Great. MN3 will start Wednesday in France, Korea, Germany, and Italy before putting up its antenna in essentially all overseas markets through Friday. Turkey is being delayed amid the humanitarian crisis. Absolutely. By the way, prayers going out to Turkey and Syria. I mean, oh my goodness, the earthquakes there, the hundreds of thousands of people's lives just breaks my heart. Goes on, though. Currently, Rotten Tomatoes reviews are at 63% fresh off of 70 at the time of the post, which is under the 87% certified fresh of Ant-Man and the Wasp and the 83% certified fresh of Ant-Man. By the way, it also mentions the completely worthless cinema score of an A and an A-. Again, cinema score, they don't actually give you any of the data. They just say, take our word for it. We put people out there, and the score that we got back was an A. It's a joke. Rotten Tomatoes is a joke as well. So that's why I use neither of them and instead use something that all of us can agree with is at the very least half decent. Not good, but half decent in uh, in Metacritic. It goes on to say the previous Ant-Man skewed 60% male to 62%. Once again, reaffirming that, yes, the vast majority of people going to see these films are male. Silly, silly MCU, silly, silly Disney. MN3 is the first MCU title to release in China in step with domestic since Disney Marvel's Avengers Endgame and Sony Marvel's Spider-Man Far From Home in 2019, the latter having gone a week early. It's also only the second Marvel title to be given a China date since Far From Home. Disney's Black Panther Wakanda Forever was granted a window earlier this month, uh, basically as a primer. And again, I have not really seen a whole lot as far as numbers are concerned there. Let's talk about, though, some of these numbers, all right? Because I did some digging. I did some digging. So what you have here is a nice little chart that I put together, all right? And what I have is the total estimates of the opening weekend, right? This is the opening weekend. I need to, I need to put that total domestic opening. There we go, just to make it clear. So as you can see, Ant-Man in 2015 made, when adjusted for inflation, $73.2 million. By the way, how did I get this number? Well, it opened to $57 million. A dollar uh, back then is worth $1.28 today. That is coming from the BLS. That's, uh, again, the Bureau of Labor and Statistics. That's government, government, official government website. I don't know whether or not that makes it more legitimate or less legitimate, but Hey, that makes sense to me. A dollar today versus is worth a dollar twenty-eight back in 2015. That, that seems to check out. That seems to make sense. So that would mean that in today's dollars, the film made $73 million. That would mean that because the average ticket price was around $8.42, that opening weekend domestically, Ant-Man, the first one, sold 6.7 million tickets. Ant-Man and the Wasp, again adjusted for inflation. The dollar today was worth $1.21 back then, according to reports. It opened to $75.8 million, meaning that it actually opened to 91.7 in today's dollars. 
meaning that when you take into account ticket prices, which on average jumped to $9.11, and really it's been that way ever since then, it sold 8.3 million tickets in its opening domestic weekend. Again, this is just the domestic weekend. The projection is from Disney that they think the film will open domestically to $95 million based off of the fact that we are still at an average ticket price of around 9.17. Now, I have got questions about this because that is the average ticket price of all movies, and that goes for all three of these. Where I honestly think when it comes to these, we probably should have a higher estimate because most of the tickets being sold, or at least a large portion of the tickets being sold, are probably from premium format screens. But since it's hard for us to really pinpoint exactly what that is, we have to use whatever the average ticket price is. And right now, the average ticket price for 2023 is around 9.17 per ticket. So if indeed the film makes $95 million, that means that the movie will have sold around 10.5 or rather 10.3 million tickets. Now, this is interesting because it does indeed show that even when you adjust for inflation, this will be the highest opening of the Ant-Man franchise. But what it also shows is that this movie is set to have a massive, a massive marketing campaign making this film on almost like Avengers level. Like they're trying to make this event, right? The quantum realm. They're, they're trying to make this out to be the big, like something so huge. So even though it is an increase, look at these numbers. Two million extra tickets sold between the first and second film. Two million extra tickets sold between the second and third. That's not that large of a jump. And then when you have the numbers for inflation adjusted, a $4 million increase from the second movie? Okay, I mean, yeah, that's the greatest of the franchise so far. And this is only the domestic numbers, right? This is not taking into account the international numbers. And obviously, international does bring something else to the table. But what this does show me is that, oh boy, they could be in some trouble. This was not a cheap film to make. This was not a cheap movie to make. But as you can see, ticket prices, or rather the ticket sales, the difference between them really isn't all that impressive. And these are films, right? The Ant-Man films have not really been known for being the highest grossing of the movies, right? They really just haven't really been known for that. By the way, uh, I just recently found this on the numbers. They actually have on their website, this uh, it's called Domestic Movie Theatrical Market Summary. It actually tracks the average ticket price back going all the way back to 1995. So it gives you the total box office adjusted for inflation. And here's the reason why I bring this up, right? So what did that article say? The article said, you know, things are getting back. Things are getting back to the way they were. Things are getting rocking and rolling. Here's the problem with that. 2019, the total box office, was $11.2 million. Obviously, 2020, with COVID, it dropped to $1 billion. It improved a little bit to $4 billion. And 2022, it also improved to around $7 billion. Now, this right here, I don't know exactly what this is. I think this might just be their early estimates since we haven't gotten a lot of things in so far this year. Again, I don't have a full you know lock on this chart and take this chart with a grain of salt. But what I do find interesting, nonetheless, is that even for 2022, we are still far, far removed from the $11 billion in gross revenue that was being made in 2019 prior to the pandemic. So what this tells me is that you still have 
a hurting industry. This is not just the studios that are being impacted by this, right? This is also the theaters. So theaters were making, right, again, around 40% or so, depending on what uh, stats you look at, maybe 40% of this $11 billion. 40% of $11 billion is a lot different than 40% of $7 billion, <laughs> to say the least, right? So it's interesting to look at these numbers, right? To look at the average ticket prices, obviously. And again, it's amazing to see how quickly the price jumps up. And what the highest, again, this is something where you could probably look at this all day. And if you like numbers, that's something that you might want to look into. Also, just to get kind of a little bit of context here, this is an old chart. I have not updated this, as it says here, since July of 2022. So some of these numbers are probably different because obviously inflation will have changed a little bit. But one thing I will think, I just want to point out as far as opening weekend domestic. All right, Iron Man was $129 million. All right. So again, Ant-Man is projected to get $95 million. The first Iron Man adjusted for inflation, 129. Incredible Hulk was at 70. That film ended up being actually a flop technically. Uh, Iron Man 2, 160. Thor the first, 79 million. Captain America the first, 79 million. This is again domestic opening weekend. 247 million dollars for the first Avengers film. 204 million dollars for Iron Man 3. 66 million for the first Ant-Man film, etc. So as you can see, right, those numbers have indeed changed a little bit. But it's interesting nonetheless to see that this film is not expected to be at the top of the pack. I mean, the first Doctor Strange film, and again, this number has not been adjusted in a little while, but it looks to be matching up to or is projected to be matching up to the first uh, Doctor Strange film's domestic numbers. So that's going to actually be very interesting to look at and to, and, and to see. It's also going to be interesting to see whether or not, not only right looking at the history of the box office, especially the history of all of these movies within the context of the MCU, but also the history of the fact that this is not getting very good reviews. So there are no actual audience ratings yet because it has only been released for critics, but look at this score from Metacritic of 50. Out of the 39 critic reviews, so there are still more on the way, the vast majority have been mixed. 20 mixed reviews, 13 positive, 6 negative. Compare that to the score of 70 for Ant-Man and the Wasp, which had 42 positive, 14 mixed, and 0 negative. And then the first Ant-Man, which had a score of 64, 28 positive, 15 mixed, and 1 negative. So it is interesting to me to look at these numbers and to see these numbers in this way. Because this raises the question, if these movies saw marginal increases, and if you look at the overall critic scores, there's a marginal increase in positivity, how in the world is this film expected to also have a marginal increase when the reviews are a lot less? Now again, to be fair, 39 reviews versus 56 reviews versus 44 reviews, but still enough for us to make that comparison and to ask that question. So anyway, I give it back to you in the chat. Let's see how y'all have been doing again. Thank y'all very much for, for joining today and for being just amazing and beautiful people. By the way, LRBT, thank you very much for the $5 hyper chat donation on Odyssey. Uh, is the little Odyssey guy peeing on YouTube. So <laughs> thank you for that. I appreciate it. Again, if you're watching on Odyssey, if you're watching on Rumble, smash the like button, laugh the fire button on an Odyssey. 
And again, if you have a comment or question, just put at Odin at the very beginning of your comment. At Odin lets me know you're trying to get my attention. Let's see. Uh, over there. Uh, Zterra, what's going on? Mentioned Exodus 90. Yeah, I just, I don't know if I could do that. Uh, Abomination then said, I bet Deadline has articles that said post-pandemic and since the pandemic. If they do, then I hope those authors were immediately fired for spreading lies about the pandemic being over. Super hyperactive, comically exaggerated laughing face emoji. Appreciate that. (laughs) Abomination says 25% in eight years. Yeah. Crazy, 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 crazy stuff going on. All right. Anyway. You guys are awesome over there. Let me head back over into the YouTube chat. Let's see. Dan Crane says, amen. Well, hey, glad that you appreciate that. John Winkster says, oh, I'm going to make you care about Flash. Well, I'm not. Gary Banjo Sadwick says, Campia even mentioned Toby <laughs> Dinkle jokes. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So is he trying to turn his look around? Because it's probably not going to work. Hardwick says, there's a new video of Steven Spielberg telling Tom Cruise you saved Hollywood. You might have saved theatrical distribution. Cruise looked hum- humbled. Uh, could be the case, right? Uh, but again, honestly, I look at those numbers there and I don't see it. Great Wooda says, I thought Scott Mendelson was your favorite. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Scott Mendelson either got fired from Forbes or I don't know what, but he's not working for Forbes anymore. He's not doing the box office coverage that he was doing. And I think he might still be doing it. I think it's what for the rap now or something, but it's like, it's a site that it's like, I would, it's, it won't even pop up in like any of the top hits of anything. It's just, it's just crazy. (laughs) Oh man. Anyway, John Wingster in 2024, we truly moved past the pandemic and have made movies profitable again. Yeah. I mean, seriously, when are we going to move past it? Uh, apparently, uh, there are people covering the Rotten Tomatoes score. And again, I don't care about Rotten Tomatoes because the whole system is pretty much broken. Um, but apparently, Rotten Tomatoes score is 55%. Is that audience score or is that the... Uh, it would make sense if that was the critic score because, again, when you look at Metacritic and you look at uh, Rotten Tomatoes, typically, when you look at the, uh, at the... I think it's the top-rated critics... I think usually there's a pretty close comparison. Or no, not the top rated critics. When you look to the numerical value, because here's the thing. Remember, if Ron Tomatoes has a 95%, what that means is that 95% of the critics who submitted reviews to Ron Tomatoes clicked fresh. That does not mean that they ranked it at a 95 out of 100. In order to get the numerical value, you actually have to go to the smaller number where it says, out of those that ranked this out of 10, here's the average out of 10. And usually it's a lot lower than that certified Rotten Tomatoes number. It's Again, it's been a trash system for a long time. The reason why I like Metacritic so much is because they're very straightforward with, hey, here's how we get these numerical values. Because some people actually use these numerical values. Some people use grades. And we've given numerical values to said grades. And it's a very uh, streamlined system. And I, I appreciate it greatly because of the fact they do that. And they're also very straightforward with how they get their numbers. But what's fascinating is that if you normally compare the Metacritic score to that average rating, they're usually close. Usually a little close. But anyway. Let's see. General Winkster Tag say, Odin, you hating on generic bad guys because he's... (laughs) Fred Farkle, what's going on? Master Gaming says, I think Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, and The Flash might make a billion dollars worldwide. You think three films are going to make a billion dollars this year? I just, I, I, I don't know. 
I mean, think back to last year. Wasn't it just two or three films that made a billion dollars? Avatar made over two billion. Uh, obviously, that's carried over into this year as well. Uh, Top Gun Maverick made $1.5 billion. Jurassic World Dominion barely crossed the billion-dollar mark. And I think those were the only three, as far as films that got released in America, films that got an American release, I think those may have been the only films that actually crossed a billion dollars. So for you to say that there's going to be three billion-dollar films and then you have Jeremy who says that Mario's going to make a billion... I mean, keep in mind, billion-dollar films happen, but they are not always a guarantee. And I think what the numbers are showing us here is that, yes, we've seen some recovery from 2020, but we've hardly seen a recovery from 2019. Still very far off the mark, at least from the domestic numbers there. Harvey says, James Mangle recently confirmed that the entire first 20 minutes of Indiana Jones 5 were set in the 1940s. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, your average favorite nerd, what's going on? Dan Crane says, Oh, can you please do a video on the history of Lent? I feel a good portion of your membership and other viewers would be interested in watching your fantastic presenter on, uh, on video. Oh, thank you, Dan Crane. I appreciate that, man. Um, probably not for this channel, just because it really wouldn't uh, fit the tone of the channel as far as like a dedicated video. Obviously, during live streams, I, I'm you know always been very open and talk about when when questions of faith are always brought up. Um, but I do have a secondary channel where I do talk about issues of politics and faith. I just have not had time to really commit to anything because as you all know, ultimately, uh, you know, my family comes first, you know, actually for anything else, God becomes, God comes first, then family, and then my full-time job. And I do this for fun. Uh, and so I would love to be able to do something like that. Um, but I just don't know when I would be actually able to. And there's some really good channels and really good videos out there that kind of go through that. If you want to go to a really good article site, onepeter5.com is a great site that gives tons of great information, especially about the history of certain feasts. Um, Matthew Pleasy, who is a writer for One Peter Five, actually does these, it's called Forgotten Customs. And he does a great job talking about some things that have been forgotten about what used to be done during Septuagesima, what used to be done during Lent, during Advent, during all these other seasons. I would recommend it highly. But yeah, I mean, I would love to do something like that for sure. Um, let us see. Rob D says, is that ticket price total box office chart domestic only? Yes. $11 million of top 10 movies of 2019 uh, alone made that much money. Yeah, according to, again, that's why I said take that with a grain of salt. It was the total box office and it is specific to... Domestic Movie Theatrical Summary. It says, Welcome to our reference library analyzing... I'll go ahead and uh, switch it over. Trends, domestic movie industry since 95. In this area site, you'll find over 2,000 pages of information. Our market analysis bill on the numbers, unique categorization system. Um, and then it says, Annual ticket sales, tickets sold, box office US. And so, again, it says there, it, it says there that this is talking about the domestic sales. So, yeah. So it says $11 billion. So, again, I look at this more so as a comparison to see that there has been a huge drop-off in it. As far as anything else dealing with the chart, I would have to do further info, you know, further digging to see. But, yeah, to my knowledge, this is just talking about... And, again, these are also estimates, too, because this is taking average ticket price. And keep in mind, if you look at the last 20 years especially, some movies have a higher average ticket price than some others, right? Because of uh, IMAX releases, because of 
3D releases, etc. So, let's see. Jeremy Zakowski said, it "Sounds like Marvel's Phase Five is not off to a great start." And again, based on the based on the the reviews, it doesn't sound like it at all. And that's why that's why I think that's an important factor to bring up because if you look at again the trajectory of the first two films, the first film got decent reviews. Second film actually got better reviews, even though. For me, I don't see how people look at the second film as being better. The second film was just not good. The villain was terrible. Um, but still, I mean, if you follow the critics and you say, okay, the critics are increasing, the overall box office is increasing, but now you're seeing not only this third film getting panned by a lot of critics, but is also coming out in the post-recovery period, whatever it is you want to call it with the pandemic, where, the again, the system has not really recovered and is not looking like it, it'll, it'll recover anytime soon. Let's see. Hardwick says, Dave Cullen has now seen all of season three of season Picard and says, uh, I released a positive review today. Now I'm interested to see what Gary thinks. Interesting. Very, very interesting. One YouTube reviewer really liked it. Oh boy. Uh, by the way, they were saying that the critic score is at 55%. That's interesting. Let's see. Um, LBRT over on us. He says, I know you don't think the Mario movie will hit a billion, but where do you think it will land numbers wise? Um, it's really early to tell on that one. It's, it's a little too far out, but it, it wouldn't surprise me for that film to make 750 to 850. I think the film is going to be very successful. I, I've never said that it's not going to be successful. It's whether it crosses that billion dollar threshold is the thing. Now, I, I will say that, um, and in fact, let me go ahead and check that out real quick because this could ultimately make the the difference in the film too is where does it get released because if the film is going to get a china release then we're talking about a scenario where where maybe a billion dollars is possible but again it becomes one of those like you know billion dollar films it is from illumination they have done workings with them in the past by the way, apparently, according to IMDb, the production budget is at $48 million for the... What? That can't be right. $48 million production budget? IMDb, go home, you're drunk. That does not sound right at all for the, <laughs> for the kind of movie that this is. Anyway, let's see. Does this have a set China release date, according to IMDb? According to IMDb, there is not a China release set. So because of that, I, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and still say I, I don't think the film is going to hit hit a billion dollars. I think the film is going to be successful. I think the film is going to, you know, <laughs> I don't think it cost only that. I don't think it only cost $48 million to make. But um, I think that it's still easily make its money back and probably make a decent amount of profit as well. All right, let's see. Harwick says, I wish they had just given us Batman 3 starring Michael Keaton and skipped having two flashes, Supergirl and Batfleck in it. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, as soon as Supergirl showed up in the mo in the trailer, that that's really what made me like <laughs> really just check out uh, of it, right? It just really made me check out of it altogether. Now I'm intrigued though, right? Because it's like, wait a minute, you're you're trying to claim that the <laughs> the Super Mario Brothers film only costs 48 million dollars? I just I can't, I can't quite, I can't quite uh, think of that as being a, a realistic take. So I don't know if they have actually. Oh my goodness, brothers! I don't know if they've actually released the 
budget yet. Yeah, so I, I typically look to, not because I think that Wikipedia is, is a great resource, but usually it's very good as far as getting accurate numbers because they at least will cite what news articles have mentioned the budget for the film. If I had to guess, I, I would have to say, and I would have to guess that the film's budget's probably going to be like over $100 million if I had to guess. I mean, if you look at the animation, you look at the fact that they are obviously going to want to put a lot of time and attention into this movie, I just don't see how they don't spend that much money on it. I mean, I mean, it's, it's possible for this film to be a sub $100 million film because if you look to a movie, this is from Illumination, you know, Illumination is, is working together with a couple of different companies here. And what they were able to do with Minions, for instance, they were able to, uh, yeah, I mean, Minions only cost $80 million. So that to me is the reason why I think 43 sounds way too low. I could see the film costing somewhere between 80 and 120 though, because illumination tends to be a little bit better when it comes to <laughs> spending their money more wisely um, versus, you know, Warner brothers and Disney and some of these others, you know, that spend 200 plus million sometimes on an animated movie. But yeah, I don't know. 43 doesn't sound quite right. Doesn't sound quite right. Let's see. Rob D says Mario hits a billion and Jeremy will be sprinted through Disney World, Orange County, and, uh, <laughs> in Osceola County naked. I don't know if he'll be that excited, but definitely he'll be excited for the fact that he, one, does not have to actually eat the pineapple on pizza. And then also I'm sure he'll find some joy in having to uh, or being able to watch me eat the pineapple on pizza. I- I'm just dreading. I'm just dreading that. I think ultimately, though, too, like, again... I don't think it's going to hit a billion. Do I think it's still possible? Yes. I think it's possible for that movie to make a billion because if you look and see what uh, what they have been able to do, I mean, Minions uh, Rise of Gru made $939 million worldwide. So that film was in the $900 million club. But even that movie, right, which is an established franchise, which has been able to build and build and build, even that one couldn't get to a billion. Now, some would say, yeah, but I mean, Mario versus minions this is very true but what people don't seem to be able to recognize and this is something as i said to jeremy and i've said this constantly right i don't think people are recognizing and and if again if i'm wrong on this i will i will literally eat pineapple on pizza you know i will literally not eat crow i will literally eat pineapple on pizza that that's the deal but what i think people are not really taking into account and i think it's going to have a bigger impact than what some might think is that they're assuming because a lot of people play Mario games, whether it be Mario Kart, whether it be Super Smash Brothers, whether it be one of the mobile games, that that automatically equates to ticket sales. And that's just not really the case. That, that, that is not an exclusively true statement, right? When you cross mediums, and that, that, that's what this would be doing. This is crossing a medium uh, from a game to a movie. You have to not only be able to present it well, but you have to have a darn good film that gets good word of mouth too. So if the film is really, is really, really good and it's like, boom, they knocked it out of the park. They kept everything the way they should. Hey, guess what? Billion dollars definitely becomes being on the table. If they instead though, decide to, to play around with the material and right now, and by the material, I don't just mean the story. I mean, having a Mario that doesn't sound like Mario. 
And I know that for some people, you don't, you don't care about that. And I respect that, right? We all have differences of opinion on that. But I just honestly think that it's an important thing to have a character, especially if you're going to cross mediums, right? Because if I see a trailer for a Mario movie and my only knowledge and experience of Mario is from Mario Kart or from some of the other games, and then I hear Chris Pratt speaking, I'm like, oh, Chris Pratt's Mario? But wait, that doesn't sound like Mario. And then if I do more digging in and say, wait, the French dude who's doing the French voice, why does he sound more like Mario? Why does he sound more like, like the Italian that Mario is supposed to be when he's from France? That, I think that can create problems. Now, maybe that means that France's numbers will be bigger because people will say, oh, that's Mario. I don't know. But I think them trying to go for a name on that might be a mistake. Because, remember, names don't sell tickets anymore. Tom Cruise is not the reason why Top Gun Maverick made $1.5 billion because of his name. It's because Tom Cruise literally pulled and dragged that film into existence and did a lot of work to get that stuff done, right? So it's not because people are like, I want to see Tom Cruise act in a movie. It's, I want to see this because Tom Cruise is going to do some crazy stuff and he did a lot of crazy stuff to get here, and he got a lot of other people to do some crazy stuff too, right? The age of the star is is pretty much faded. Actors don't sell. If you want to see clear examples of this, Amsterdam. You got huge names in that movie. No one went to go see it. Massive flop. Um, Babylon. Huge names in it. No one went to go see it. Giant flop. Names do not sell. Stories sell. And people who can sell your story, sell. And I think Tom Cruise, when it comes to action films, is is one of the best in the business when it comes to that. I think that even people who are critical of him would have to at least give him that much. Uh, Sahil says, I honestly don't see Amazon 3, uh, Ant-Man 3 rather, opening to $280 million, assuming it doesn't open in China. I'm guessing it'll open to less than $250 million. So again, it is getting, a, so as I mentioned earlier, it is releasing in China. Um, uh, around the same, you know, so this weekend is, we'll be including about 20 to 25 million is what they're projecting from China. So that's the reason why they're thinking 280 million. Um, so that's if, so if yours is based off of it, not getting released in China, well, it is. So 280 million then becomes a little bit more on the table. The question that I have more so is, is those domestic numbers, because I've mentioned this previously. There are people, especially in the States who actually care about what Rotten Tomatoes says. I mentioned this how it was a few years ago. Um, it was still during the pandemic. Um, and I remember we had someone over who was, uh, it was like the bug guy. And he was spraying around. And I was just, you know, telling him what areas needed to be sprayed. And then he saw my office and he was like, he's like, oh, you do oh, you do YouTube? What, what, what kind of stuff do you cover? I'm like, I cover movies and box office. And then the first thing he says is, oh, yeah, I was thinking about seeing this movie. You know, it got a really high Rotten Tomato score. So the general audience a lot of people in the general audience still go to Rotten Tomatoes. I've even had students who will mention Rotten Tomatoes by name because they look to that as being, because it used to be really, right? And even I could admit that, right? It used to be the place where you would go to say, hey, is this a movie that's actually worth going to go see? Is this a movie that's actually worth going to buy? Now, even in its heyday, you had to read it correctly because a high critic score and a low audience score told me, okay, this might be a well-made movie, but this is gonna likely be boring or it's gonna be a love or hate for me because general audiences are split 
Whereas if you saw a very high audience score and a very low critic score, you said, okay, this might not be the best made movie. It might not even have a good story, but it might be a darn good time. Nowadays, it's like you can't trust anything from them because they've played around with their critic scores, obviously, and they've always been problematic. But they also went after the only thing that it really had that brought any sense of authenticity to it, which was his audience scoring. And we, we obviously see where, where it's resulted and where it's led because of that. Howard says, for the first time, they, them pronouns actually make sense with two Ezra Millers in the same movie. Yes, that's the only time it makes sense. Truer words have not been, su- truer words have not been said there. Uh, let's see. Coliseum says, the number has $42 million as the budget as well. Yeah, the numbers also typically will have as their budget whatever is being reported. And right now, IMDb is the only place that I'm seeing that has any number being reported for the Super Mario Brothers movie. But even Wikipedia doesn't have a link to the IMDb page. So what that tells me is that there isn't an actual budget yet for that film. And I would not be surprised if it was closer to 80 to $100 million. Again, if Minions 2 cost $80 million, how is a Mario film going to cost $40? That, that, that just doesn't make, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Anyway, Coliseum Builders, I say, but that was for the previous Mario movie. The 43 million previous Mario movie. You're not talking about the Mario Mario movie, are you? <laughs> yeah, because I'm just, I'm, I saw the 43 mentioned on the official page uh, for, let me go ahead and uh, pull that up so that way everyone can see. So here's, here's where I'm finding it. Let's enhance. Enhance. So budget, forty-eight million estimated. And again, this is the April twenty twenty-three release. That's the brand new film. Now let's see. Did you mean this film? There's no way this film costs forty-three million dollars. Let's see if they have an estimate on this site. Oh my goodness. IMDB, you broke. Amazon, what have you done? Amazon's destroyed so many things. They destroyed destroyed IMDb. Oh, look at that. No, okay. So, <laughs> oh my goodness. So seriously, IMDb, Amazon, you're drunk. So IMDb, uh, we've just shown this. IMDb is using the estimated budget from the 1993 Super Mario Brothers live action as a basis for the estimated budget of the 2023 one when it hasn't been officially released. Are you kidding me? Oh my goodness. That's that's so stupid. <laughs> but they've ruined again Amazon ruined. They ruined IMDb. They they ruined uh Box Office Mojo too. I oh old school Box Office Mojo was so great and there was a Reddit community that was dedicated to trying to restore it and it just fell through. No one ever was able to do anything. It broke my heart. I was like, "Ah, oh, I miss I miss the old Pre pre Amazon days, the old IMDb and and the old box office mojo. Anyway, see Gary Banjo says, "Will the real Mario please stand up?" Seriously, glad we figured that out. Luke Zilla says, "Supergirl punching that guy reminded me of the Agent Smith from Matrix Two with the CGI." Oh yeah, for sure, CGI does not look good. Abomination says, "Easy, the movie costs forty eight million because it's thirty minutes long." <laughs> 
Of course. Of course. It's a short film. That would make a lot more sense at the very least. Shout out to the Rumble people. Shout out to the Odyssey people. Thank you all again for hanging out. YouTube fam, as always, thank you again for being here as well. 60 people watching. Smash that like button, please. Share it as well. Uh, let's see. Hardwick says, the only thing about Babylon that looks interesting to me is Tobey Maguire plays a character that looks like a drugged out gangster version of Bully Maguire. It kind of does. That actually is a very good point. Um, all of the, yeah, all of the images of him, it's like, why does he look like a drugged out ghost in the film Babylon? <laughs> I guess that's what, it, I guess that's what, is that what he's going for? Is he kind of going for that look? Because if he's going for it, hey, guess what? Good good on you, brother. You, you, you pulled it off. You actually, you actually made it look pretty good. You actually made it look pretty good there. Oh, man. But yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll definitely be interesting, right? Because, yeah, these numbers are not looking very good as far as the actual reactions are concerned. Going back to the main story again, as uh, the, the chat's a little slow tonight. Chat's a little slow tonight. Got a lot of people watching, but chat's a little slow. Um, but yeah, watching the $280 million estimate being given. I don't know. Again, it does make sense. Um, I, again, did the math for them since they don't want to do the math themselves, right? I adjusted for inflation. So the first film made $73 million. The second film made $91 million. This one, Disney's projections is $95 million. Now, this is just the domestic numbers for those that maybe missed it earlier. But this also makes sense, too, because if you look at the ticket prices, if you look at rather the ticket sales, you see an increase of about 2 million tickets every single time for every single film. But then you realize, okay, they're running with the whole story of, oh, it's the best performance, it's the best opening of any Ant-Man film. And it's like, yeah, but by how much? For inflation's sake, only by about $4 million? Now, to be fair, this is the lowball number from Disney. So Disney is notorious for lowballing their movies because they expect their films to do better. So that way, when the film or if the film makes over $100 million, they will say, oh, oh, it's overperforming, right? That That's kind of a tactic that a lot of studios use, right? A lot of studios will use that. That's not just a... Um, that's not just a Disney thing, right? That's something that, that that all studios will try and do. But it is interesting, nonetheless, to, to see and to look at this and to think that really isn't all that much more tickets. Again, two million extra tickets in an opening weekend for a, a what's supposed to be a, a huge event film for Disney and for, for the MCU, right? The, the, the kickoff of, of, isn't this supposed to be the kickoff of phase five? I don't know. Let's see, Kimberly G, okay, looks like YouTube's having some issues, apparently. Kimberly G says, I keep getting error 503 retry when scrolling typing chat. What? What in the world? Harvey says, today I was hit with a weird hunch that James Gunn Superman... Uh, Hardwick, why do you keep talking about random things, bro? Talk about current events, talk about what's happening right now. Kimberly G says, I keep getting... Error 503 retry. If anyone else on YouTube is having that issue, please let me know. Great Wuda says buffering. That's ridiculous. I'm not getting any drop frames on my end. Abomination says phase five. Didn't they try to rename it phase two again? <laughs> that, that would definitely make a lot more sense. That's for sure. Anyone watching on Rumble? Are y'all having any issues? Rumble fam? Can, can y'all can y'all Can y'all see? Am I there? 
Abomination doing the Lord's work, still checking. <laughs> uh, let's see. Laura says, fun fact, second Ant-Man movie is the only Marvel movie I walked out of. I even managed to watch all of Captain Marvel. Oh, man. <laughs> I will say, I will say, Laura, that actually does make sense because the villain is so bad. Because it's not even really a villain in Ant-Man 2. And I know some people said, oh, well, she was good in the show that she was in. But I just, the only thing I remember from that was Ghost or something. The only thing I remember was she was overacting in every scene that she was in. It was, it, it was ridiculous. Harwick says everything's fine. Great Wuda says fine. Laura says I'm good. Miss Minnesota hockey fan. How about a hockey player says no issues here. Okay. Well, I'm sorry that you're having that issue, Kimberly G. But I'm, I am also glad to hear that this is not a uh, pervasive issue um, going on there. So, anyway. Any last questions? Any last questions? I see charts, says Laura. Well, I... I I, I switched away the charts, so you shouldn't see the charts anymore. <laughs> I see charts. We all like charts. We all like charts. Guess we'll go ahead and we'll go ahead and wrap things up. If you have not voted in this year's Wednesday Raven Awards, please go ahead and do so. Heimdall has been posting the link, or recently just posted the link. So if you want to vote for the best and worst of 2022. Go ahead and check that out. Let's see. Rob D says, what kind of ice cream do you like? Oh, man. Favorite ice cream has to be uh, cookies and cream. Love me some cookies and cream. It's it's phenomenal. It's fantastic. Though, I will say that I do have a soft spot in my heart for classic vanilla. And this could either be vanilla bean or uh, French vanilla with chocolate syrup. Hershey's chocolate syrup. Ugh. That stuff's the best. Making what we call ice cream soup. That actually goes back that back to my childhood. We watched uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse. Any Pee Wee's Playhouse fans back in the day? Uh, we watched Pee Wee's Playhouse, and there was a time when he made ice cream soup, and I think that just kind of stuck with us. So that's what we would do too. We would do the ice cream soup. See, Laura says there is a new Guy Ritchie movie coming. It makes me so happy. Yeah, I mean, uh, Laura, that's actually it made it into my most anticipated film list of of 2023. So that actually was a surprise on my list. So out of the five films I'm looking forward to, I, I saw the trailer about a day or the same day of that list getting created, and I immediately was like, wait a minute, because I was going through I was going through the Wikipedia list of American releases and I was like, okay, let me see. And then I saw Guy Ritchie's name for director on one of the films, and I'm like, okay, I gotta check this out. Watch the trailer. I was like, yes, please. Because Guy Ritchie has just done so much. Um, so many good films in the last in the last few years. Right? Wrath of Man was really solid with Jason Statham. Uh The Gentleman was was phenomenal. Gentleman was one of my favorite films of the year um, when that came out. I didn't think that Wrath of Man was better than that. I, I thought both again, Wrath of Man was good. I really enjoyed Wrath of Man. It was one of my it was one of my favorite films of that year. Uh, but the gentleman just oh, gentleman blew me away. Mostly because of the very surprising performances in that film. Um, I'm trying to remember specifically a little bit more about that film. Let me see if I can pull up the cast. Yeah, oh Hugh Grant. If you've not seen The Gentleman, I would highly recommend watching it. And for one reason only, 
to see Hugh Grant's performance. Hugh Grant gives, in my opinion, a career performance in that movie. It is phenomenal. It is so, so good. It's so, so good. <laughs> oh, man. Let's see. Victor Fontaine says, Ben and Jerry's chocolate chip and cookie dough is the best. Ah, cookie dough is good. My wife loves, that's her favorite. Freya's favorite ice cream uh, flavor is cookie dough. Do the 3D movies also include the price of the 3D glasses with the ticket numbers? Great, Wuda. Well, here's the thing. Well, 3D movies, those, you don't pay for the 3D glasses. Those are included. Um, So, yeah, the reason why you pay extra for the 3D films is more to do with the technology that is needed in order to have the projection system. Because the glasses, I mean, that's like a drop in the bucket price-wise. So the ticket doesn't get impacted all that much by the actual glasses that you get. Um, It would be much more impacted by the fact that the theater, in order to be able to play the 3D film, needs to have a projector with a certain um, type of technology within it that allows for that type of, of showing. And so that's the reason why that price goes up. And so also, too, there's this artificial, too, this is artificial because that may have been like in the beginning, but 3D films and 3D projectors almost, I mean, back when I was working at AMC, for instance, back in like 2014, 2015, I remember almost all of our screens or a huge portion of them could play 3D movies. They, they, they were all projectors that projector projectors that had that capability. So in the beginning, it would have actually made, it, it would actually make sense to say, yeah, you, you pay more for the ticket because it's a newer technology. And so you're paying off basically that technology. Now though, it's harder for me to say that it's, it, it makes more sense for, for them to try to say, no, 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 you're, you're paying for the experience. It's an, it's a, it's an enhanced experience. And so therefore you should pay more similar to how AMC writes paying more for a certain ticket or charging more for certain tickets that are in a more premium section, for instance, doesn't impact me all that much because I'm, I'm an AMC a list uh, member. And so I don't think that's going to impact the a list uh, membership or, or pricing or anything. Um, but again, that's also why IMAX, right? IMAX is more because IMAX is his own independent company. And so that one actually does make sense for them to charge more because Clearly, IMAX and AMC and whatever theaters they're working with regionally have some deal worked out. And I imagine part of that deal is a cut of the ticket sales. And so I imagine that they probably are, are higher because of that reason. Or at the very least, right, there's some some type of contract between them that allows them to get the money or some type of money. But General Racer says, I get the chat 3 out of 10. Just not engagement tonight. Yeah, very, very uh, slow. That's okay. Bomination, what's going on, brother? Thanks for hanging out on both sides. Gus says, favorite movie era. I love the 40s and 50s. I love old school black and white uh, classic films. That's why my top three favorite films of all time, usually, that I that I will put out there are Casablanca, 12 Angry Men, and It's a Wonderful Life. I just love those three films. From the more modern era, I would put, obviously, the Back to the Future trilogy up there. Even more recently, I'd put The Dark Knight, Whiplash, Nightcrawler. Um, again, there's just... Uh, there's so many. Oh, and then of course there's the eighties films too. Um, early nineties films, Jurassic park, jaws, Godfather. Yeah. All over the place. But if I had to pit a decade, eighties is a great decade, even though my knowledge of it's terrible. Shout out to Rosetta Allen for always calling me out on that. 
But then I also I love 40s and 50s. I just love older school films. Dan Crane says, what comedy movie releases are you looking forward to? I don't know if I've ever broken down the films by by genre. Um, so I don't, I mean, I can't remember if I had a comedy on my list. I don't think I did have a comedy on my list. If I did, let me know. Harvey says, Guy Ritchie isn't directing Sherlock Holmes 3 for some reason. Um, I can I could probably guess, uh, but I'm kind of glad he isn't because that, that franchise is a bit overdone. Uh, chocolate ice cream, any ice cream with chocolates is Miss Minnesota hockey fan. Again, v- vanilla, either vanilla bean or French vanilla with some chocolate syrup. Mm-mm. Apparently, that's called a black and white. Like in a milkshake, a chocolate shake, you typically make it with chocolate ice cream. But a black and white shake is the vanilla ice cream with chocolate syrup. That is the best shake. Put a little malt in there. Oh, a little whipped cream on top. Man. Now I had to remind, my, had to remind myself that, that Lent's about to come up. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Anyway, is the purple in the honor of the rebooted Barney the Dinosaur series? That show still haunts me. <laughs> no, it's because we're in Septuagesima, the pre-Lent season. All right, 1930s is the best decade, says Hardwick. 1930s is good, but 40s and 50s, I think, was better. Rob, do you think the chat dismisses Tina and Steph? I think that also is a big part of it, for sure. No doubt about it. Uh, Kimberly G says, some like it hot. One of the uh, one of the first old movies I saw, I loved it. Oh, Some Like It Hot is hilarious. That's a great, that's not just a great old film. That's a great old comedy, too. Still holds up. Casablanca is going to be in theaters. Yes, yeah, right. Early March, they're getting the 4K release. Also, Warner Brothers is putting out some 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 of their older films on 4K for the first time, I believe. Orange Review says 40s and 50s, 1944's Arsenic and Old Lace. Highly recommend. Oh, yeah, I, I finally got to see that film uh, last year, I think. And I liked it. I, I wasn't crazy about it. It wasn't something that I ever felt the need to watch again, but I like what I saw. Just saw Roman Holidays in theaters. What a, Roman Holiday in theater? What a classic! Still a film I need to see. I have it. I just haven't seen it yet. Bruce says chocolate chip shakes are the best. No, I disagree. I would say black and white shakes with malt, and then of course you can't go wrong with an Oreo shake. Anything with Oreos in it is gonna be far superior, even to your chocolate. Right. Your chocolate will always be enhanced if there's some Oreos in it. Anyway, the sock of ice cream making me hungry, getting us to the end of the show. So I'm going to say a big thank you to all the people watching on Odyssey, all the people watching on Rumble, all the people watching on YouTube tonight. Shout out, of course, to Orange Hat Reviews and Lower the Mono Major General for uh, supporting the channel as mods, for keeping everyone in line, and also for all my members as well who are hanging out tonight. Thank you again for, for supporting the channel in that way. And with all of that being said, also shout out to uh, the one the one donation got tonight from LBRT over on Odyssey. Uh, that hyper chat donation, seriously, thank you. And yeah, I feel that way. I feel that way. Um, but ultimately, that is where the people are. That is where the people are. And uh, I will continue to multi-stream to all the platforms that I possibly can within reason. I think three is is more than enough. You know, I know that they're they're playing around with locals being able to have uh, RTMP streams, which would allow me to stream directly there. But it's like they're so much integrated with Rumble that it's it just it's counterintuitive to me. Uh, we says since you like Oreos so much, you can try Oreo popcorn when you see it, man. Oreo popcorn? I don't know. That sounds uh, that sounds a bit much. That sounds a bit much. <laughs> Bruce says, well, well, come on, Oreos, it's not fair. I mean, yeah, it's true. Oreos, it's never fair when you got Oreos, for sure. Uh, Dan Crane, thank you for being here. Just another red shirt. 
Thank you for being here. Snow Poopus Cuber says, I already ate my cookies. I don't even think I have any cookies left in the house. Makes me very sad. It's like, I think I think in my head, it's like when I've gone out to the store the last couple of times, I've been like, okay, I can't buy the stuff because I need to start preparing. And then I'm like, oh, but I, I just, but we're not, we're not in that time yet. We're not in that time of fasting. And I, I just, uh, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> with all that being said, this has been a fun show, everybody. I uh, was glad I was able to talk a little bit about it. So let me know again if you're watching this after the fact. What your thoughts on, on Ant-Man? Do you think Ant-Man's going to get to the $280 million that it's projected to get? Do you think that it's going to sell as many tickets as it's projected to sell based off of the $95 million number? Or do you think these early reviews from critics, uh, both both bad critics and 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 those that I typically trust, people like Jeremy Johns, for instance, do you think that maybe they're giving us an indication that we could be looking at yet another big start for an MCU film? Not nearly as big as the $450 million of Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, but still, for the Ant-Man franchise, pretty big with 280. Are we going to see a massive drop-off? Again, even as Deadline's article, as shill and as cringe as it was, indicated, we're going to be seeing consistent releases from this point going forward, right? Of big releases every every few weeks, so... It'll be interesting. It'll definitely be interesting. So thank you again, everyone, for your love. Thank you very much for all of your support. Smash the like button, light the fire button on Odyssey. Smash the rumble button, of course. Send Odin cookies stat. Yes, seriously. I need someone to send me a drone immediately to drop off <laughs> to drop off uh, cookies to my doorstep. That's what I need in the next, like, five minutes. <laughs> I got the chocolate milk. I don't got the actual cookies. I got the digital cookies, but that's about all I got. Anyway, you guys are all amazing and beautiful people. Have an all wonderful for yesterday. A shout out to the R, who I've not been able to add to the video yet, but a shout out to him for the month of February. Uh, you guys are all amazing. Have a wonderful rest of your evening. A blessed feast of St. Valentine. Uh, remember, it is the feast of St. Valentine. You take your Valentine's Day commercial garbage. But seriously, no. If you are celebrating uh, Valentine's Day, I hope you do have a good one. Um, but also, remember... Be prepared for Lent. Anyway, you're great. God bless. And now for a huge special shout out to all of my Patreon locals and Subscribestar members who are at the Keeper of the Bifrost level and above, starting off with Father Luca Illick, Garrett Searles, Chris from the 80s, who you can check out over on YouTube by the same name, Hymir Hymason, Joe Horn, Jonathan Carney, Orange Hat Reviews, you can check out at his YouTube channel by the same name as well, Laura, the Modern Major General Story, Rosetta Allen, who you can check out at her YouTube channel, Eagle Rider, and Miss Martin Muses, which goes by the same name on YouTube. Thank you all very much for supporting me over on Patreon. And also for my subscribe star peeps, we got Matt317. Check out his Twitch channel by the same name. Fast Reaction, Mr. Roy, J-Rod the Beer Guru, and ZK Man, who you can check out over at xtheboundaries.co. And also, lastly, to my locals members, starting off with Miss Minnesota Hockey Fan, How About a Hockey Player, J.H. Schwalbach, Brett D90, and the amazing lawyer, Robert Barnes. Thank you all very much for supporting me for the month of February. You guys are all fantastic. If you want your name shouted out, access to exclusive podcasts and exclusive giveaways, check out the top link in the video description below. Anyway, you guys are all great. Have a wonderful rest of your day, everybody. And as always, God bless.